When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So Jameis Winston will be the heaviest quarterback in the NFL this season. Is that a good thing? And why is he doing this? I'm at the NFL owners' meetings. we got lots to talk about with Bruce Arians and Jason Light, their reaction to that. The Rays' roster is nearly set as they prepare for Thursday's opener against the Astros. Today is the final exhibition game against the Tigers at the Trop. Raise the roof. The Rays have a new blue ceiling at the Trop, and it's getting some mixed reviews. All the top two seeds have advanced to the Sweet 16 in the NCAA basketball tournament, and what a game between Duke and UCF. They'll be talking about that for many years to come. We've got all of that and more in this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, do you want to be a millionaire? Well, for 30 years, Howard and Sue Million have brought the cool comfort of air conditioning to the entire Tampa Bay area, making thousands of residents millionaires with their quality trained products and service. Now, Millionaire is currently offering 0% interest for 72 months on qualifying equipment. Give them a call at 727-862-2100 to take advantage of this great offer on brand-new quality train air conditioning units or to schedule service or maintenance. Call 727-862-2100 today. Trust the masters of comfort, Millionaire. All right, Steve, good to catch up with you again. I'm at the owner's meeting in Arizona and uh, always... Lots of stuff going on out here. Uh, I went to the golf tournament on Saturday. You know, Bruce Arians has, of course, been in Arizona for a number of years as their Cardinals head coach, and he uh, has had a, his own celebrity golf tournament to raise uh, money for CASA. And, you know, it was a good, well-attended event again. It, it's so well-organized, and he had a lot of players and former players that were here as well. But the only Buccaneer that I saw, and I thought this was interesting and not surprising necessarily, was Jameis Winston. It doesn't uh, surprise James, me he was there. It surprised me others weren't. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I know it's a tough time of year with spring break. A lot of kids are out you know, on vacation, and these guys don't have a lot of time. I mean, they're going to start their off-season workout program April 1st, so it's not as if um, you know, maybe their schedules didn't uh, you know, conflict it. And, and, and in fact, I mean, since the tournament is in Arizona, um, there may actually be more appeal to you know, some of the Arizona. Now, he had some coaches here. You know, Todd Bowles was here. Um, so, so that was good. Saw Jim Levitt, the former USF coach was also playing in the tournament and he's, uh, we can talk about him in a minute. He's, you know, in between jobs at Oregon and wherever he'll go next, which could be the NFL or someplace else. Um, so, you know, it was, it was a nice event and we got a chance to, uh, to catch up with Bruce and catch up with Jameis. And I hadn't seen Jameis really hadn't talked to him since really since shortly after Bruce was hired, got his reaction to that. Of course, they can't really have a lot of contact right now with players. Uh, April 1st is when the Bucks begin their off-season workout program, and they won't be on the grass yet with coaches, but they can meet with them. They can uh, interact with them. And it's just weird with the CBA uh, and sort of the separation that they have right now. But Jameis is in the building a lot. He does see Bruce, and he got to spend some quality time with Bruce and also talk to some players who have played you know, for Arians. And I just think it's part of that, you know, the coach quarterback – dynamic in this league is is unlike i think any relationship in sports you know 
more than any manager with his pitcher or or superstar slugger. Um, you know, I guess I guess if you if you coached or you know maybe Michael Jordan or LeBron James, that would be a unique. You know, if you had a superstar on an NBA team, um, that that might be similar. But in terms of a team sport, um, you know, and we know that Bruce is in here really to be the quarterback whisperer, to be the guy in Jameis's ear and, um, you know, sort of, sort of see if he can resurrect his career, or at least, uh, make him the franchise quarterback. They all thought he would be. So we followed Bruce around on the golf course a little bit. Jameis's group came in behind him. Uh, and first we talked to, uh, to Bruce, but then later to Jameis and Jameis kind of dropped a surprise on, I mean, first of all, just to look at him, he looks like he's in tremendous shape as he normally does this time of year. He works very, very hard uh, with, uh, you know, uh, Tim was it Tim Grover. I think the, uh, the trainer used to train with Michael Jackson or Michael, Michael Jackson, <laughs> Michael, uh, Michael Jordan. I'm all mixed up. My time zones are a little screwy. Michael Jordan. Uh, and, and so we've seen him do work on, you know, he's Instagram work on the beach and, and all this stuff. Um, so to look at him like the naked eye, like only his bathroom scale, I'm telling you, knows for sure. Um, but he came up and he told us that he weighs 250 pounds now, uh, and he plans on playing it that way, which was stunning to me. Now, you know, listed weights in programs are always very skewed. I mean, from the time you're in little league football to high school, normally teams are trying to, you know, say you weigh more or you're taller than you really are. Uh, and then you get to the NFL and sometimes those weights are skewed lower than they really are. Um, but, but Jameis was listed at 231 pounds. That's probably what he weighed coming out of Florida state. But regardless of that, 250 pounds would make him by listed weight. Anyway, the heaviest quarterback in the national football league. And you think of, of guys like then the next heaviest, at least as, as they're listed would be, uh, big Ben, or I'm sorry, Cam Newton, Cam Newton would be the first one at 245 and Joe Flacco. At 245, but Cam Newton is 6'5, not 6'4, like Jameis. And of course, Joe Flacco is 6'6. So, and then you go down from, you know, to Ben Roethlisberger, who's, who's around 240 something, and, um, and Andrew Luck. Uh, but, but at 250, uh, and, and again, not, not a 250 that looks sloppy by any means, but a 250 would make him the heaviest guy. And so you naturally think, well, wait a minute, why, first of all, why are you doing this? Uh, and secondly, you know, how might that affect his mobility? Because obviously any, you know, any kind of girth like that might slow you down. You know, James talked to us about other things like, like dehydration and just having his best body. Well, well I'm going to play bigger this year. I'm bigger. about 250. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I am. So. Well, what's solid 250, yeah. Yeah, solid 250. Yeah. Just, it's just about hydration and being at the peak body. You think it helps durability too? Yeah, or? it does. Yeah. It does. I know you haven't had a lot of time to spend with Bruce because you guys will be in there April 1st, but mm-hmm. when you do things like this or you hang around him, what's the feeling like? I think guys... it's great, man. You get to see the people that's, that's been supporting him yeah. uh, for basically toward the end of his career, but you get a chance to hang around his guys. Yeah. And it's just good to get a good feeling, uh, know that you're going to have some good guys coming to Tampa with him. Right. When you, when you, I don't know if you bumped into Fitz, when you see guys that were with the Cardinals or guys, a couple players now that that, uh, that he's had, what's their, what's their what do they tell you about what he, what he did here or what? What he's able to do? Uh, well, they just tell me I'm going to be excited, yeah. and uh, and that's and that's always a great thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, uh, Larry said that you know he's a he's a coach that definitely uh, helped his career. And uh, when anytime you hear a Hall of Famer guy talked about his coach and you see the support of, uh, that he gives Bruce, uh, is always a good thing. Now, all that sounds good. Uh, I'm not buying it. <laughs> so, 
I mean, it is a thing in Florida when you're, you know, those guys, I mean, 300 pounders can lose 10 to 15 pounds of water weight when they're out there, you know, playing or practicing at Raymond James or in that heat in September and even October. Um, so maybe there's something to that if you're too lean and, you know, you could, you could have cramping and things like that. But, but to be 250 pounds, there has to be a reason. And he has reinvented himself and tried to do something to get better every offseason. Last year it was about nutrition, and he wanted to be, he wanted to be more lean, I think, uh, and watch what he ate and stuff like that. And I'm not saying he's not eating well now, but, but to put on that kind of weight, a lot of it in his upper body, I think. So there had to be a reason. So we caught up with Bucks coach Bruce Arians, and I asked him if he was okay with Jameis weighing 250. Whatever he feels comfortable yeah. without, without bad weight or without bad weight, yeah. without you know stuff that you, you hurts your scramble and hurts your mobility. But right, right. Uh, sure helps when they try to sack you. Well, and, and, and that's uh, a big part of his thing. I know Ben was is bigger, but like, you yeah. know. I don't know if he ever was up. Yeah. He might have been 55 one year. Yeah. Now he's way down there. Now he's in the 40s. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> different age groups. So. Yeah. You uh, you get guys out five. Get your five eligible out. So mm-hmm. the key is them getting rid of the ball, but they're going to take some hits, right? More than more yeah, than yes and no. Yeah. I mean, you you just have to know your protections. Yeah. And see where I possibly could be hot. Okay. Most of all young guys, when you spread it out, yeah, they see it better. Yeah, yeah. Now when you when you're all bunched up, and you, you might be faking it. Oh shit, miss a safety. Turn your back, or yeah. Yeah, when you spread it, and uh, yeah, unless you got hellacious blockers. Yeah. The more you block, the more you get in double cover. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And as you heard me mention there, I mean, the whole thing which makes sense is that we all know that in this offense that Bruce Arians runs, he likes to get five guys eligible out into the progression right away. In other words, uh, when they spread the field, which he likes to do, yeah, he doesn't keep guys in necessarily uh, to, to chip on, on defensive ends, running backs to stay in and block. He doesn't necessarily have tight ends doing that. He wants to get guys out. He feels like, you know, if, if you do that, they can't double-team guys and that it's easier to identify, as you heard him say there, um, sort of where the double-teams are and get the ball out of your hand, understand your protections, and he thinks, you know, you're going to be okay. But like he said, hey, it's going to help him as far as, you know, when he gets sacked. And therein lies the real key. Uh, and, you know, if you ask enough questions and the truth finally tumbles out, right, what the reason is, I think, that, that Jameis has done this and, and probably other quarterbacks maybe that have played for Bruce or just knowing his system have told him is the guy needs a little more armor in his body to take the shots he's about to take because he's going to be back there uh, staring down you know, the gun barrel, as they say, uh, with guys coming at him. He's got to hang in the pocket, and he's going to get hit, even if he throws the ball, even if he doesn't get sacked. I mean, Arian's team's... Um, for a couple of years in Arizona, and it might be a reflection of their offensive line, but you know they had a couple of years where they were, had the third most sacks in the league, um, the eighth most sacks in the league. So they were, they were in the top ten uh, two of those years that Bruce was out there. Now it's not like the Bucks protected Jameis or, or Ryan Fitzpatrick very well last year because they gave up 41 sacks of their own. So if you have an offensive line that can't protect, and you couple that with not giving them any help. Um, you could have a situation where a quarterback, you know, could be could be in danger. But I think that Jameis recognized, hey, you know, this is going to be part of my job now. I'm going to have to hang in there. I'm going to take some of these shots, uh, and I'll sacrifice, you know, whatever mobility that that might cost me. And the thing about his mobility is it's functional mobility, right? I mean, Jameis is not, you know, he's not Michael Vick, right? He's not, um, 
you know, Baker Mayfield. He's not a guy that's going to run around back there, uh, you know, uh, or Russell Wilson, somebody like that, uh, you know, for yards and running yards and things like that. But he's functional. And his size is an asset because he's able to shed blockers uh, in, in a similar way sometimes to Big Ben. Not not quite as emphatic, but but a guy that can get blockers off of him. So from that standpoint, a bigger, stronger body would help him. But it's got to limit his mobility a little bit, and there's got to be some sort of trade-off there. But I just think it's interesting, Steve, that the guy, you know, when you, when you think about big quarterbacks in this league, remember Dante Culpepper and some of these nationally big guys, I don't think of Jameis Winston as a 250-pound man. Then again, we've never seen him as a 250-pound man either. True. So, it's, you know, it's part of that is, is when you haven't seen it, you don't know what to believe. Although, you know, you said you saw him there. He didn't look too He looks happy. good. No, I mean, he looks good. I mean, he is, you know, he's a little more barrel-chested than he's been, I think. Uh, I don't know, you know, without wearing, you know, form-fitting clothes. I mean, he was in, you know, he's in a, in a golf, you know, golf shirt and, and shorts. So it was, it's hard to tell, like, where where the bulk of that weight is. Is it in his lower half? Is it, you know, certainly a, I think he looked bigger as far as, uh, you know, through the, through the chest and whatever, but, um, I'm not sure where, you know, where, where the mass is it's muscle. I think it's predominantly muscle and, you know, muscle always weighs more than fat, obviously. Um, so, you know, he can carry weight cause he's a big man to begin with. I mean, he's six foot four and, and he's, he's not, you know, he's not wiry. He's not petite in any, any sense. So he can carry weight, um, pretty deceptively. Um, but you know, it's still, I always say this, you know, take, you know, if it's 10 pounds or 20 pounds, you know, take take two little barbells, hold them in your hands and see how far you can go before you get tired. You know, um, now your body, uh, you know, you do it gradually. So your body is going to adjust to that and it's going to be strengthened uh, during the process. Um, but he I would assume he had to eat more. I would assume he's had to uh, certainly do a lot more lifting or weights or something uh, to get himself up to that weight, because I don't think I don't know without, you know, without just, you know, plowing on Big Macs, I don't know that he could get to 250 naturally, um, you know, without just bad nutrition. So it's, uh, it, it was really, it was stunning to me that, you know, when you think about the quarterbacks in this league, that Jameis Winston could be the guy that weighs the most again. Well, it's, it's like interesting Trump- too, as you know, the Russell Wilson's and now the, the Baker Mayfield's and the Kyler Murray's and you're starting to see yeah. more smaller quarterbacks uh, being able to play and play at a high level in this league. That- yeah that Jameis is going bigger at this point. And granted, you know, most of the quarterbacks tend to be bigger in stature, at least height and, and that, which Jameis mm-hmm. obviously fits that mold. Mm-hmm. But it is interesting how there is a shift to some of the, the smaller players are now being, you know, used. I mean, before you would never draft a quarterback below 6'2 or 6'1. And now you're small quarterbacks, but Jameis is going bigger. He's going heavier. And then, you know, he's one, I mean, most, you know, six, four is a good, obviously a good size. There's some debate about whether you should be much above that. Um, you know, Carson Wentz, I think is maybe six, five, of course, you mentioned Flacco at six, six, but you've got guys, you know, like you said, as short as Kyler Murray's coming out at five, 10, Drew Brees is listed at six foot. And again, listed weight. Look, I've had people tell me, you know, Ben Roethlisberger has got to be 250, 260. <laughs> and I can see why they think that at times. But I talk, when I talked to Arians about it, he goes, no. He goes, you know, when I was there, he said Ben may have gotten over 250 once. He goes, but he goes, when I see him, you know, now, he says he's in the 240s easily. So I'll take him at his word because he knows Ben a little better than I do. And he's, you know, he's been next to him. Um, but, yeah, it's just, it's rare. I mean, they come in all shapes and sizes, obviously. And it depends on what, you know, what their strengths are. Um, 
And, and so, you know, Jameis is not a runner per se, but he is a guy that does extend the pocket. I mean, his strength is if you look at the analytics that are broken down, and I had some of them in my story, you can read it on TampaBay.com. He's actually amazingly consistent outside the pocket. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's very accurate. Um, not much of a drop off between when he has a clean pocket or one that he has to escape. So, uh, you know, that's a big part of his game. A lot of his touchdown passes come on busted plays. We've seen big plays before when he's able to get out of trouble. Now he does that not just with foot speed, but it does beg the question, you know, if you're a step slower, one of the things I wrote about, and it's not a great parallel, but it's the best one I could come up with. Um, because this guy was on his way, not yet, but it was on his way to what became a first battle hall of fame career. But, you know, way back after the 97 season, Warren Sapp really burst onto the scene. He was drafted in 95, 96, Tony Dungy comes. By 97, he has 12 and a half sacks, and they make the playoffs for the first time in forever. And they play Green Bay in the divisional game. If you remember him and Brett Favre jawing at each other, Sapp had three sacks in that game, I think, um, was helmet off and all that stuff, and uh, wound up with 12 and a half on the regular season. And then he sort of went on the rubber chicken tour a little bit. I mean, he, he did not that he, I don't know if he totally slacked off, but when he came back the next year, uh, he had gone from 303, which was again, his listed weight uh, to somewhere around 315 or so. And you could see it that it, it, he was a step slower. I mean, he was close to getting a sack and the guy with the ball off and, you know, in pressure, but he didn't get the sack. And so about this went on for about five or six weeks. And I went up to Tony Dungy and I said, Hey, um, you know, is Warren Sapp, does he look slower to you? Does he look heavier to you? And he goes, yeah, because he says he is heavier. And I said, well, how much heavier? And he told me. And I said, well, you know, why, uh, you know, why, why, did he, why did he do that? Why, is he put, why did he put on that weight? He says, well, he thinks it helps him uh, hold up better against the run. Because he's got a lot of double teams. And, you know, he was a smallish guy at 300 pounds, especially playing inside. And so... I said, really? I go, well, what do you what do you want him to play at? He goes, I want him to be at 303. And it was weird to hear a coach say, I want him to be at this weight, but he's at that weight. And yet, as if it was Warren's choice. Well, Sapp wound up with a, a horrible year for him, um, having just seven sacks. And then he, then he got back down to his old weight again. And the next year, um, the next two years, you know, he just went off. I think, you know, of course, it led to his, whatever it was, his 17 and a half sack year, defensive player of the year and all that in a couple of years. But uh, and again, Jameis Winston did not have the career before or since that Warren Sapp had had at that point. Um, but sometimes players do think, hey, you know what? I think if I did this, it will help me with that, you know? And somebody has gotten in his ear. I don't know who, um, but somebody has gotten in his ear and said, listen, so you know, um, you're going to take some shots in Bruce's offense. And you need to be physically prepared for that so that you can hold up uh, to some of the, some of the shots you're going to take. So it's interesting, you've got a guy like John Robinson from the Tennessee Titans who is here, and they go out and get Dolphins quarterback Ryan Tannehill to compete with Marcus Mariota, who's also on his third head coach, hasn't quite you know, established himself to the point where they've gone beyond the fifth-year option like the Bucks are at the fifth-year option with Jameis, um, and that's a competition. I mean, it's pretty much an open competition. I think Tannehill could potentially win the job, maybe even out of training camp. Who knows? But he's certainly there to, to take over if things don't go well. In Tampa, Bruce Arians comes in and says, no, 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 we don't want competition for Jameis. We don't want him looking over his shoulder. Uh, Fitzpatrick goes to Miami, Fitzpatrick goes to Miami, and now you've got Ryan Griffin, who's never taken a snap, uh, as the backup quarterback for now. Um, so it's, it's just kind of interesting, the two approaches. But, 
you know, I, I think that, you know, certainly Jameis is, is mindful of what he's about to face, trying to prepare for that physically and mentally. And, and he's 250. The reaction has been funny from some of the readers. They just don't know what to make of it. I'm kind of with them. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how this, how this goes, you know? And again, Maybe it, for him, maybe he played at 240, 242 last year. We don't, we don't know because there's listed weight and then there's real weight. So maybe it's only an 8- to 10-pound gain. Um, but it, it's just different that a quarterback would say, I want to be bigger. And, in fact, he would at 250, at least as listed weight goes, be the, the heaviest quarterback in the NFL. So, you know, since I'm at the NFL owners meetings, of course, uh, there's always news that breaks. And this this happened yesterday. But uh, Rob Gronkowski, the uh, great Patriots tight end, announced his retirement, which uh, sort of you know did it on Instagram. And I guess uh, the word is that he called Bob Kraft out here. Not not much before the time that uh, that he announced it to let him know of his decision. Stacey James, the PR guy, was running around and. There's a lot of anxious uh, you know, Boston media suddenly scrambling uh, late afternoon to try to get their stories together about Rob Gronkowski. I don't know if it's a huge surprise that he retired, Steve. I mean, he's, he's had so many injuries that he's had to overcome. Uh, played nine years, played a long time. Uh, of course, uh, a lot of Super Bowls. I mean, he was such a gamer, and I know football has been such a big part of his life. And, and maybe physically uh, and mentally, he, he's just not up to the task. Or maybe it had something to do with you know, what they would have done with this contract, you know, with respect to, you know, you don't ever know if behind the scenes they're asking guys to, to take pay cuts or, or what. But forever, for all those reasons, Gronkowski retires. And he does so as a guy that is going to certainly wear a gold jacket one day as a Hall of Fame player. I don't know, you know, these the first ballot thing is a weird thing. Like voters, I've been in that room, and sometimes they reserve that as, as more hallowed ground. Um, Gronkowski will be in the discussion. I don't know if he's, if he makes it as a first ballot, there's certainly a good argument for him, but if you're just looking for pure, complete tight ends, um, you know, guys that could block, uh, and play big and big games, he was about as, as good as we've seen, I think. And I've seen, I've read some articles and seen some things, you know, is Gronkowski the greatest tight end ever? Mm-hmm. And, and there's a case to be made. I mean, statistically, he's never going to match up to Tony Gonzalez or no. someone, or, you know, someone like that who's Antonio played for as long, or, who, yeah. to have played as long as they did. Sure. And, and maybe they were, you know, better route runners. And, and, and Tony Gonzalez was more like a wide receiver than a tight end. I mean, the, way, the way he mm-hmm. played the game. But if you look at Gronkowski and how big, how fast, how strong he was, that catching the ball, running, but. He could block and not just pick up the blitzing linebacker or chip on the defensive. He would take on the defensive end and block. He would. He would. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he was would. like a sixth offensive lineman if you needed him to be. He wasn't just yeah. – and he could go run routes and run 40 yards down the field and catch the ball at his shoe tops. Um, you know, just an incredible athlete and, and probably the most gifted tight end we've seen as far as you know the complete skill set, especially at that big. Yeah, I would say for a complete tight end, he was that, um, and, and you hit it on the head. I mean, the, the, the ability to block uh, one-on-one against the best athletes on the field. Uh, and then also, uh, you know, postseason-wise, there's, there's not been a better tight end. I mean, you can't ignore the fact that in the postseason he had 81 catches for 12 touchdowns. Now, it helps mm-hmm. that you play for the Patriots, and they're making it to Super Bowls and, and winning six of them. Um, but he was a big reason why that happened and, and did it. You know, when he was less than 100%, we know that. I mean, even this last, this past year, he had a ton of injuries. 
the last catch he made in that Super Bowl was enormous. Mm-hmm. You know, it set up a touchdown uh, that wound up putting the game away. So uh, he did it right to the very end. And, uh, and yeah, his numbers, I mean, Tony Gonzalez has twice as many catches, you know, 1,325 uh, and twice as many yards. He's got like 15,000 yards and 111 touchdowns. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Uh, which are the second most uh, of any tight end besides Antonio Gates. Um, and then, you know, there are others going back in the day like John Mackey and um, – you know, even Kellen Winslow, not junior, but senior, uh, was a tremendous postseason player and all those things. Um, but, I, I mean, Gronk, for, for being clutch, for doing everything, uh, and this, the pure joy he played the game with. I mean, that was the other thing. I mean, the guy, you know, just bled football, was a real character of the game, obviously off the field. Um, you know, just the whole alter ego of Gronk, you know, and, and uh, how much Tom Brady relied on him. I'm telling you what, uh, the Patriots don't have any tight ends now. I mean, they really didn't have much behind him. And it would not surprise me if they had to pull off a trade or do something, mm-hmm. maybe at least in the draft, to try to find a way to, to, uh, to replace him. Because he was, he was a real um, you know, safety valve. I mean, when you think about the Patriots and you think about Tom Brady and the targets he's had in this rotating cast of really non-stars other than Randy Moss, the one constant star was Gronkowski. You know, yeah, Julian Edelman has played a long time, um, and he's had him as well. But uh, but Gronkowski was the guy that he just really relied on. So, uh, yeah, big loss for uh, for the Patriots for sure. I wonder if uh, he's going to be replacing Jason Witten on Monday Night Football. <laughs> I have to assume <laughs> the networks been... are lining up to get him. I mean, maybe not for not so. for a color analyst job, maybe, but a studio. He's such a big personality. That's the thing. You don't know. Like I don't know how. You know, the X's and O's. I, I assume he knows football. He played it a long time whether that would be his forte as far as like, you know, calling games or whether he would just be great in, in just the overall commentary about, uh, about the game and, and, and the players and, and some of the guys that, uh, that he watches. But he certainly, if he wanted to go that route, you're right. That personality would come through, I think on television, um, you know, everybody else, you know, outside of new England probably didn't like Gronk that much. Um, but, but he is, he is a likable guy. So, uh, we'll see. I mean, it's it certainly I, I could see him on one of the NFL Network or someplace uh, if that's the direction he wants to go. He also, heck, we might also see him in a WWE ring or something. I mean, who knows? Um, you know, he, he could have a second career doing something else. Well, he could but try to take injuries. the Michael Strahan route and do, you know, Good Morning yeah. America and talk shows and all that. I mean, you know, he's a big enough personality. Yeah. That's something he wants to do and focus on it. He could. Yeah. It'd be very interesting. Very interesting. So. Uh, yeah, the Patriots uh, have another chipping away at their at their dynasty a little bit, but it doesn't hurt them. They they came to this meeting with their sixth Super Bowl. Bob Kraft, by the way, uh, released this statement, um, uh, you know, kind of having some contrition about what the headlines have been regarding him. No one has seen him though. I mean, I've been here for two days, and uh, I know he's in Arizona. I know he's at the meetings. I have not seen him anyway, and so he's he's kind of like. You know, being because normally he would hold court. He would be like a giant, 
you know, especially after winning a Super Bowl, you come here and, you know, six, six Super Bowls, he'd be, you know, talking about his team and talking about Brady. And um, he's come here before with other kind of clouds over him, whether it was Spygate or Deflategate, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but this time it's his crisis. This time he's the reason why there's negative press about about the Patriots. So it's it's going to be interesting to see sort of how they handle that going forward. So I'm excited to get back to Tampa just because it is baseball. We are two days away from the Rays opening the season Thursday against the Houston Astros. Man, oh man, wake the kids, call the neighbors. Blake Snell against Justin Verlander. Not a better pitching matchup in baseball to kick off the season uh, for sure. And today, in fact, is the final exhibition game They're against the, the Detroit Tigers. And blue back lights. The we got blue lights. We've got blue lights. What about that, man? I mean, I, I, I don't know really what to think. I've seen variations sort of on Twitter of, uh, of this illumination. First of all, they have the new turf, which they say is, is bright. And, and the, the lights themselves, I guess the trop is brighter. I don't know if they're using LED lights. I don't know what's going on. It, with it is LED, just... and there's new field, too, that supposedly looks really good. Yeah, so they have all that going for them. But then, you know, it's a good idea, I guess. I mean, I don't know, maybe it whittles away at your home field advantage. But, you know, teams come in here, and Buck Showalter just used to grumble out loud about this place all the time. But, you know, the, the white roof, uh, it's very easy to lose baseballs up there, to say the least, not to mention the catwalks and, you know, the, the ABCD rings and all that. But, you know, I guess the Rays have sort of experimented with or are still trying to tinker with the idea of making it um, making it blue, lighting it up blue. And one of the pictures I saw, I mean, it looked cool. I don't know if I want to play baseball in it. It looked like a club. It looked like a nightclub. You walk in, you're kind of like, hey. Well, could they just make of... it blue when the Rays are in the field and disco when the other team's out in the field, you <laughs> know, changing just... colors and lights? and Right, just flashing lights all over the place. <laughs> that would give you a home field advantage. Yes, it definitely would. I think it would probably be very legal. But uh, there's been mixed reviews, let's just say. I mean, some... I guess some people are really critical of it and like, come on, what, you know, this place is, is, is hard enough. What are they doing to it now? Uh, and it looks kind of goofy, but, um, they can turn the lights. They can, you know, they make it as, as bright or as, as dark, I suppose, as they want to, but somewhere in there, I think they'll probably settle on a, on a hue of blue and, um, and yeah, so add a little more, a little different atmosphere and, and potentially help the players find, locate some fly balls or whatnot. But, um, Hey, look, you got to give you got to give the uh, you know the race credit for finding new shades of lipstick to put on the pig that is Tropicana. Now I don't I don't mind watching games there. I think it's very comfortable for a, from a fan standpoint, um, and I, I you know I like knowing a couple things. One, there's a roof overhead, and if I have to drive from Lutz to watch the Rays play, I know the rain out is not going to keep you know I'm not going to go there and get get delayed. I'm not going to have uh, unless, you know, like the electric goes off or something. But uh, for the most part, you know they're always playing. If there's a home game scheduled, they're going to play. So that helps. Um, and it's comfortable to me. I, I don't think there's a bad seat in the place necessarily. And, uh, you know, 70 degrees sounds pretty good in, in the hot of summer. I've never but, understood why there's so much, you know, Tropicana Field's a, an awful baseball field. Because I don't I disagree. I mean, I don't think the amenities are as nice as some of the newer parks that are being built and, you know, it's probably in the bottom four or five parks in baseball. But there's it's not a bad experience at the Trop. There's not a bad seat. I understand, and I wasn't here when the Rays first opened and stuff, and Tropicana Field used to be darker, and it used to be – it wasn't mm-hmm. – you know, they've put a lot into it over the last 10, 15 yeah. years and made they it a lot nicer. Have. And so I didn't experience the original 
Tropicana Field. But I don't yeah. understand why. I mean, I've been to a lot of baseball parks that are a lot worse than than Tropicana Field. And granted, most of those aren't around anymore. Like the Metrodome wasn't nearly as nice as Tropicana Field to watch no. a game. In. Um, you know, things like that. I mean, and, and like I said, it's, is it new? Is it, is it have all the amenities of the new parks? No, absolutely not. But it's not a bad experience to go to Tropicana Field. I've never understood why people say Tropicana Field's a bad baseball park. It's not. I mean, would you love to have an outdoor park? Sure. But in Florida, does it make sense? No. Okay. I just don't think it's, it's practical. Yeah. yeah. I the, mean, the catwalks the, stink. Okay. I get that. Sure. Yeah. Nope. I, no argument there that you wish you could, the roof was different. You didn't have the catwalks, but from just a fan perspective, I've never thought it was a bad experience. Never walked out of there unhappy with uh, with the amenities. And you're right. I mean, they poured a lot of money in it. I think the you know the eating choices are great. Um, they've got activities for kids, uh, you know, in Centerfield Street, all over the all over the ballpark. I think they do a nice job with the in-game presentation. Um, you know, some of the contests and the different things between innings. So I, I'm with you. I don't. I've never had a horrible experience. Now, it was a dank. You know, it's the last of the domes. I mean, mm-hmm. no one's going to build a traditional dome roof like that. It's going to be retractable if they're going to have it at all. And we've seen variations of it throughout baseball and football, for that matter, um, so that you can at least either see the sky. And then the latest thing is, um, and I think if the Rays ever build a stadium, it would be like this. They have, you know, the glass or the translucent roofs where, mm-hmm. where you have a feeling of being outside and a lot of natural sunlight cascading in from different angles of the building, not just the roof. Um, so, you know, th- there's a whole new generation of enclosed or retractable roof stadiums um, that are being, you know, being born all the time. So, you know, this is this is a dinosaur. This is this is the kingdom, you know, in Seattle. I mean, this is those, that sort of place that that no one would ever imagine building again. But as far as the game goes and I'm not playing the game, so that that's a whole nother topic for players. But as far as the experience goes, the fan experience, I think they do a tremendous job. I've never walked out of there my kids have never walked out of there saying man it was just horrible i couldn't see um you know i, I didn't like the feel i was uncomfortable it was hot or it was cold or it was whatever you know like it's it's just always very pleasant so um you know look like i said they're, they're still investing in it they're still um trying to make it more fan friendly and, and make it more intimate now by blocking off and i'm not happy about this per se because i like the seats in the 300 level especially behind home plate because i like to see the game from behind the plate. Um, and so that, that was an affordable way to get up there, but you're going to have a better probably atmosphere maybe for the players when at least, you know, there's the illusion of people, uh, more crowded together, you know, the fans that are there being more centralized and, and, and packed in there. So, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be different, but, but I think it's, I think it's fine for now. And it's not, it's not what they want. It's not what they're going to build. Uh, certainly they need a new stadium and, uh, and maybe that will even, you know, entice more fans to go over there but it does have a reputation but it is funny that they that they this was so unexpected to me it's like i saw the story by mark tomkin i'm like whoa what are they doing <laughs> trying to light this i know they light it orange when they win the game you know but somebody must have said well if we can turn it orange after the game we could turn it blue during the game and then you know have a different feel to it so they've also got some uh, more roster decisions to make i guess before thursday right well they've they've got uh, guillermo heredia is going to make the rosters matt duffy goes on the new injured reserve or injured list this year unbelievable um, for that guy by the way yeah unbelievable it might be a while it could be hamstring back or both um that are i mean you remember problems. us talking to him at the fan fest and mm-hmm. he had worked so hard in the off season and all he was looking forward to was being healthy you know yep. put on the extra weight uh, you know tried to you know maybe maybe 
maybe did too much. Who knows? Maybe those hamstrings are were worked a little, little too much. But you just feel for the guy because he's a good player. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the first half of last year when he had some endurance before he wore down, you could see him wear down. He was actually very effective. But, man, so so Heredia takes his spot in the roster. Yeah, and that's so that gives them a defensive outfielder who can back up all three positions, play really good defense for late innings, and also a pinch runner. Um, he's got some good speed on him. So that gives some roster versatility there. Jalen Beeks has been told he's going to make the roster as a long-inning reliever. Uh, could be, you know, following an opener or maybe just pitching later in games when they need to, to eat a couple innings at a time uh, for the game. So, in theory – they have one roster spot remaining, assuming they're keeping Wilmer Font, who has not had a great spring, but he's out of options. So if he doesn't go on the injured list, then you have to put him through waivers to go down to AAA, which you may lose him. So if that happens, you've got one spot left for Adam Kalerick, Emilio Pagan, and Hunter Wood. So it looks like those are the, the final roster spot between those three. Right, and they're all pitching, uh, as we do this podcast, they're all pitching uh, today, as a matter of fact, I think. Um, or at least two of them are. Pagan, remember we interviewed him at the Race Fan Fest, mm-hmm. came over from uh, from the A's and, uh, you know, is a, a kid from Charlotte, played on the Puerto Rican uh, national team, or baseball team in the World Baseball Classic. Um, could be a, a, a mid to late inning guy, you know, mm-hmm. uh, fastball slider guy with good stuff. So. Could be a potential opener, too. We talked to him about that, if you remember. Absolutely. Absolutely, he could do that. So he's an interesting player. So, yeah, I... Look, the, the expectations have been through this blue roof, if you will, uh, for the Rays. I know they're excited, and, you know, I was talking to our, editor, our sports editor, Mike Sherman, who listened to this podcast, of course, was headed down to, for the final Orioles game, and he made a good point. He said, you know, because uh, the bottom Orioles had the worst record in baseball last year, they may eclipse that easily. You know, I think they lost like 110 games a year ago. He was telling me, he goes, I don't think they have a major league player on the roster. He says, but, you know, Rays fans talk about, you know, trying to catch the Yankees and the Red Sox. <laughs> the Orioles have to try to catch the Rays. Trying to catch anyone. Anybody in baseball. <laughs> I mean, any, any team in baseball, they have to. And so you think about it, and you're like, you know what? At least for all the, you know, the things that you can complain about, small market, bad stadium, whatever, uh, lower payroll, uh, you know, the Rays do have, their future is bright. You know, locking up Blake Snell, uh, you know those sort of things, and so you know you have hope. You know, and that's what mm-hmm. spring is about. You know, spring you you want your fans to to have hope that your team can can do something and make the postseason. But I think it's legitimate hope. They played well this preseason. They have a, a team that's going to be going to be good. And it's just they need to go off to a great start. Now, playing the Houston Astros might not be the best recipe to right out of the gate. That's kind of the per, that's most people are thinking that's the World Series favorite at this point. Yeah, I wouldn't. That would not surprise me. And Verlander, Snell, of course, the two one and two in the uh, Cy Young last year, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's correct. And in the National League, you got Degrom and Scherzer facing off to the opener, the one two, just, one two in the National League. Should the, the should the traditional opening day? I know that the you know the Mariners went over and, and played what Oakland and Japan, so those yep. games counted, right? But should the should should the opening day be a national holiday? I mean, shouldn't shouldn't you be allowed to stay home from work and just say, you know what, it's opening day for America's pastime in baseball? We're it's a little like March Madness, I guess, but like you got to come up with a really good reason not to go to work that day, don't you? Well, I lived in Cincinnati for years, and, and their opening day is essentially a holiday in town. There's a big because they were always they the a first big parade. They, they, well, they used for, to be until were. until ESPN did a Sunday night game before the season would open on a Monday. That's right. Which that caused major consternation in Cincinnati. Still does, oh, to bet. be honest. They still think I'll that bet. you know they should have been playing before the Japan games. 
Sure. Uh, but Cincinnati opening day is a holiday. I, I can tell you that it's there's hundreds of thousands of people lining the streets for a parade. That's great. Before the game and then the game itself. And it's it's incredible. Uh, I've got stories after stories of, you know, bars opening at 6 a.m. being packed for opening day. That's great. That's really cool. That that's a baseball that's a baseball town right there when you have that kind of tradition and and uh, and of course the Reds. So yeah, baseball's back, man. I'm I'm excited. This is a great time of year right now. Um, you know, in the spring. I mean, we got we're only a couple weeks away. We're four weeks away from the NFL draft. Of course, that's become an enormous enterprise and extravaganza broadcast by a ton of networks. We are April first. I mentioned the Bucks are back in the building. Then at the end of April, before the draft, the three days leading up to the draft, draft starts on a Thursday. The Bucks will have their first mini camp. Uh, with Bruce Arians. So full squad, voluntary mini camp. You get an extra one when you're a new head coach. And so they'll have a chance to assess what they have on this team before they go into the draft and, and start filling some needs there. So that's something to look forward to. So lots coming up. Mark, Sweet uh, also, 16 is this weekend. Or that's starting right. Thursday, these, Florida State's playing Gonzaga Thursday night at 7 o'clock. Could this be Leonard Hamilton's year? Is this the year they're going to the Final Four? I'll tell you. They look pretty impressive to me so far. It has, but it's been a pretty boring tournament, to be honest. I mean, all four number ones made the Sweet 16, all four number yeah. twos, all four number yeah. threes, two yeah. of the number fours, and then a five and a 12 seed. Listen, I said this before the tournament. I don't know if if, uh, if I said it on the podcast. I think I did on the podcast. I think college basketball is going exactly the way of college football. I think you have – now, there's more parity, um, perhaps, on any given night because, obviously, you play a ton of games, and, you know, we saw, you know – Duke could lose to Central Florida. They didn't, but they, certainly it was a great game. We can talk about that. Um, but I still think the major programs are going to dominate. And you're going to have, you know, again, Duke came oh so close. But are we going to be surprised if a number one seed plays a number one seed in the final this year? Or a one and a yeah. two seed? I mean, I think there's probably about six teams that can win the national championship. Yeah, and I, in football, there's probably about three or four. Right. So the last eight years in the Sweet 16, there's been 128 spots. Okay. Um, 13 conferences and 53 schools have made up those spots. But the ACC, Big Ten, SEC, Big 12, Pac-12, and Big East. Mm -hmm. So probably the six biggest conferences. You can make a a case the American Athletic is sixth or seventh. But those six, not including the American Athletic, have taken up 111 of the 128 spots. Wow. 41 schools. The other seven conferences, 12 schools have taken up 17 spots. Now, if you take Gonzaga out of that, which had five of the spots, 11 schools have taken up 12 spots in the last eight years in the Sweet 16 of none of those incredible. top six. Yeah. That it's a top heavy. It's, it's definitely, you know, the big conferences are the ones advancing. No question. They're getting the best talent. They, they have established coaches and, and storied programs. And, yeah, you can, you can certainly go chalk in this tournament, and you're probably going to come up with a, a pretty good Final Four. So, but that you let's it, just briefly. It was funny. So we're we're in the media room at the owners' meetings, and of course the time difference being three hours, and we're all kind of writing our stories. And everybody had to stop. We didn't have a TV in there, but, but we had a couple people with uh, their laptops, and we're watching the end of that UCF game. That might have been one of the most exciting games I've seen in the tournament in a long time. And to think that UCF, who had never won a postseason tournament game, um, went. Toe to toe, and I mean it wasn't fluky. Now Mm-mm. they went toe to toe against against one of the great Duke teams and one of the, maybe the, one of the best college basketball players ever. I mean, we'll see, you know, just what happens going forward. 
and they came with a you know within a ball literally rolling off the rim after a putback from upsetting duke that was that was some kind of drama they had in that game. Oh, that that is definitely one of the best basketball games in, in the tournament we've seen in years. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and one of the very few this year that's been really exciting and nail-biting down to the wire like that. So it was, right. it was nice to see. And, and especially as as great as Duke is perceived to be, and you know, most people have them in the Final Four, if not winning at all. Or at least I would think they're one of, definitely one of the favorites in that regard. Sure. That, and you know, no one really gave UCF a chance in that game. No, and, and to think that they had the lead, I mean, and then, like I said, if you just said, hey, guys, you're going to have one shot to win the game, and they actually had two, and had two pretty good looks at it, and then the last putback rolling off the rim was heartbreak, heart, heartbreak hotel, baby, as they would say. Um, the one thing that was cool, and I don't know what you think about Coach K. I think he does an unbelievable job, and, and I think he does it right for the most part. Um, and the guy's like 70 now uh, and, you know, has just, you know, tremendous – program that he that he has made at duke but you could see the genuine affection that he had for johnny dawkins um who played for him of course and was his longtime assistant coach mm-hmm. i mean a guy that uh, was on the bench with him for years and years after that game and it was neat to see i mean there's a certain amount of sportsmanship i think that that is you know like i said i can't imagine when you're ucf to come that close uh to, to pulling off that upset and going to the sweet 16 but a uh, class act by Johnny Dawkins. I don't know if you saw on Twitter what he said to his team uh, after the game, how much he enjoyed coaching them. And um, it was just neat to see. So congratulations to UCF. Tell you what, uh, that athletic program doing pretty well. You know, you look um, at football, basketball combined, they're, they're in a great shape. They really are. They're they're And then you see USF, who we talked about, um, you know, with coach, coach Gregory and them are, are doing well as well. They've still, they're still alive in uh, in their tournament, I guess. Well, and we're taping this earlier in the day on Monday because of your responsibilities out at the owners' meetings in Arizona. But yeah, they'll be on Monday night. They're playing Utah Valley in the second round of the CBI. So uh, by yeah. the time you hear this podcast, that game will be over. But sure, sure. But they've done a nice job with the twenty wins and, and all of that. But yeah, UCF has uh, certainly got it going in their athletic program for sure. Yeah, and the Lightning, we have some uh, news there today. So obviously they won't have played the Bruins yet. They will when you hear this, but we don't know the outcome yet because it's before the game. But John yep. Cooper did say Dan Girardi will be, is doubtful the rest of the regular season. They hope he'll be ready for the playoffs. So. Ah, oh, man. That'd be a tough loss for them going into the postseason. Yeah, well, you hope they come back. The good thing is they have seven defensemen that they were rotating, and Jan Ruda's actually played pretty well as your eighth defenseman. So... Anton, Str- so, Anton Strawman was uh, out on the ice on morning skate. He's missed eight straight games, so I don't know if he'll play against the Bruins on Monday night, but he was on the ice uh, for morning skate, so you assume you'll see him back pretty quick. So a lot on tap the rest of the week. Of course, I'm still at the NFL owners' meetings. Going to have a chance to uh, talk a little bit with Bucks GM Jason Light about the offseason, about free agency, what they're going to do with what's left of their salary cap, how they're going to sign some of their draft picks, and then uh, my sit-down, once-a-year sit-down with Bucks co-chairman Joel Glazer. Uh, will be happening uh, as well tomorrow. You'll get a chance to hear some of that in Bruce Arians, the coaches' breakfast. All 32 coaches uh, meeting the media for about an hour or so. I spent a lot of time uh, with Bruce talking about his plans for the upcoming 2019 season. So a lot of that uh, on tap as well. The Rays, we mentioned, have the final exhibition game against the Tigers at the Trop. The Lightning will be off now for four days uh, until they play on Saturday. Against the Washington Capitals, one more game against the Caps in their final home game uh, of the season before they uh, they finish up on the road. So that's uh, that's the week, and so you want to keep it right here on Sports Day 
Tampa Bay, and we will uh, keep you up to date on everything. Also, folks, if you have a chance, I know you got a choice of air conditioning companies, but I'm telling you, uh, for 30 years, Howard and Sue Million have been the ones that have led the way with Millionaire. And right now, they're offering 0% interest for 72 months on qualifying equipment. Give them a call at 727-862-2100 to take advantage of their great offer and uh, brand new quality tra- train air conditioning units or to schedule service or maintenance. 727-862-2100 today. Trust the masters of comfort, millionaire. For Steve Bursnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. 